Morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Dwayne Arledge, for those of you who may not remember. Uh, I'm associate pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and it really is great to be back here with you. Pastor Charlie's out this weekend, weekend doing the grandkid birthday marathon, so I don't know if it's a restful weekend or not, but at least they're having fun. Next week, he'll be back, and we'll continue the 23rd Psalm series. I think he has six more messages in that series entitled Desperate, so you'll want to be here for all of those. First thing I must say is thank you, and that is an inadequate statement. As we were leaving here at the end of May, so many of you said so many gracious things. You wrote things. You said things that are etched in my heart forever. Some of them that was written on paper, I have put away in a file that I'm going to keep until it turns so yellow I can't read it any longer because the things you said meant so much to me. But equally, in coming back, the things that you've said to me have been a great gift from you and from God to me to say, we trust you to come and minister among us. Listen, thank you is far too inadequate of phrase to express what God has put in my heart for that. So here's what God has given me. He's told me that your trust in me as a pastor among you and alongside you and with you is a sacred trust. It's a responsibility he's given me. And I am never ever to think I'm entitled to that trust. In fact, two weeks ago, God gave me a quote from a popular author, Brene Brown. And it says this. In fact, you'll see it on the screens. It says, what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. I never, ever, ever should come to the place that I think I'm entitled to trust and to your love and your appreciation, not for one second. But I do understand when I'm grateful to God and grateful to you that I'm privileged to have that honor. And that's where I stand today. Thank you. I'm profoundly grateful for the trust you're placing in me and in all of our staff. But it's been a particularly obvious to me with the life situation that I've been through in the last year or so. Now, Pastor Charlie's trusted me to share this weekend and has asked me, given me the privilege of sharing with you just some things from the last year journey in our spiritual life. When I say our today, you just translate it this way, Dwayne and Summer Arledge, okay? And when I say something about summer, I'm not talking about the season today. I'm talking about capital S, Summer, my wife, all right? So in our lives, in the last year, God's been doing some things that I am compelled to share with you. But right up front, I'm going to tell you this. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. He's trustworthy. No matter what the, the future looks like, you can trust him. So I want to take all of us today on a journey. It'll, there, are, there are three paths on this journey, all right? They all weave together. The ones I'm going to speak about is the, the pathway of 
Abraham in the Old Testament and what God did in his journey because God used that to speak to me greatly during the last several months. And I want to share that story with you. Then I want to share alongside that and woven through it my story, Summers and my story. And then the third storyline is this. You'll have to provide that. It's whatever God does in your heart and in your life during this message that you allow him to weave your story through Abraham's story or through my story and learn whatever God wants you to learn from that and apply whatever God applies for you. And so that's what I'm asking you to do today. We're going to go to Genesis 12. I have two passages of Scripture today. Genesis 12, Luke chapter 14. Later in the talk, I'll get to Luke chapter 14. But we're going to spend some time first in Genesis chapter 12 with a guy named Abraham. Now, in the reading, it's going to say Abram, Abram, Abram. So before you say, okay, who's Abram and who's Abraham that Dwayne keeps talking about? They're the same guy. In this, at this point in his life, his name is Abram, which means exalted father. That's what the name means in Hebrew. But God later changed his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. That's what he did with Abraham. He, he generated a multitude of nations through Abraham. And so whether I'm reading Abram or I'm saying Abraham, same guy. Got it? Okay, 10 or 12 of you got it. You tell the others what, what I just said, and we'll all have it, okay? So in Genesis 12, Abram, Abraham, uh, God, God is coming to talk to him. And so let's just read the story, and then we'll unpack it together. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. Notice it's not a very precise land. Just the land that I'm going to show you when you get there. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai. She later became Sarah. Her name was changed as well. He took his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham tra Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. Now, here's the picture. He's in, in the land of Canaan. And when he gets there, it, it's not a land he's familiar with. And so what he does is he begins in the land of Canaan to travel around to the different places because God sent him there. And we we'll ha have to assume that God still was instructing him where to travel, where to go. Because God said, you go and I'll show you when you get there. And so he was traveling through the land that God had said, this is going to be your land. So he traveled as far as Shechem, and he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. It hadn't been given to Abraham yet. He didn't have possession. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. 
And Abram, his response, notice, he built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south, still looking through the land, set up a camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev, the southern part. So the picture here is as he travels throughout the land, looking at, checking out the land that God has shown him he was going to give to his descendants by the way that he didn't have yet. He had no children. As he traveled through that land, he built altars and he worshiped in all the places as God showed him what he was going to do for him. Now, as we weave our three stories together, Abram's, mine, yours, here's, here's the formula I want to use. It's one Pastor Charlie has used many times, and the first time Pastor Charlie used it, it really spoke to me, and it's, it works in Scripture often, to just simply ask, what's my part, and what's God's part? Because it separates out how much I need to be concerned about and what I can quit worrying about, okay? So let's first focus on Abraham and say, what did obedience look like for Abraham? Today's message is, what does obedience look like? Because often we're not sure what obedience would look like, and I think we need a biblical picture of that. So Abraham's part was this, really simple, go. God told him, leave the land and Go, verse 1, look at it. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land I will show you. Leave all that you know. Leave all that you're comfortable with. Leave all that's familiar. And go, I'm going to show you a new place I want you to be. So here's what Abram had to do in this going. Just so you don't think, well, Pastor Dwayne said go, so I'm going to go. Because often we can go that way and all we're doing is saying, well, I think I'd like to do this, God. I want you to bless this, God. I'm going to go. And we just step off of a cliff. And when we hit the bottom, we say, well, God, you told me to go or I think you did. I must have missed that. So we need to listen closely to God. Listen to how he speaks through his word and have everything anchored to his word when we're listening. Abraham listened closely. He believed God completely. Not partially. God, I'm going to believe you right up to the part where it gets hard. And then I'm going to start questioning you. He believed him completely. And then he obeyed precisely. He did exactly what God told him to do. Even though God didn't tell him all that was going to happen... As God showed him, he did everything God showed him. All three of those things, the listening, believing, and obeying, I just summarize with that one word. If you'll do that, then you're ready to go. That's where Abraham was. What was God's part in this picture, in this passage we just read? God's part was this, everything else. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave and go. Where did he say? To a land, I will show you. He didn't say, Abraham, go to a land, and it's up to you to figure out when you get there. No, he said, I'll show you. He didn't say how he was going to show him, but the supernatural part of it is God showed him. 
And that's the big deal. That's what stuck with me when Pastor Charlie said that we do what we can do, the human part. God says, do this. That doesn't mean do anything you want to do. That means do what God says to do. And then God does the supernatural part. So he said, I'll show you. Then in verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation. He also says in verse 2, I will bless you. You cannot bless yourself. You cannot bring God's blessing on your life. That's a supernatural thing. God has to do that. Verse 3, he said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. So God can bring blessing in other people's life, and he can bring a curse on people who treat you with contempt. Now, this is one that all of us are tempted to take into our own hands, but there's a subtle difference. God can curse those who hold you in contempt. You know what we can do? We can curse at them. And that's not the same thing, by the way, okay? We just curse at them, and that doesn't bring a curse. That doesn't pull God's favor off of them. That just messes with our minds and with our hearts and our lives. And so we need to allow God to do the supernatural part like Abram did. He said he would curse those who held Abram in contempt. And as you read through Genesis, sure enough, that's exactly what God did. And then the last one. God says he'll do, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And sure enough, Abram and his lineage, God has, has chosen to bring a blessing on the families of the earth through Abraham and his people and the different nations that came from him. So let's look at you and let's look at me just briefly but very pointedly. So when I come to this and I lay my life alongside Abram's here, so I say, well, what do I need to do? Well, my part is this. It's real simple. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of sub points under it, but all of those sub points, just like Abram, they add up to one thing. Go. Go. That's what obedience looks like. When God says, Dwayne, you step out to the left, or that's your left. I know the difference between left and right usually. When you step out to the left, all I have to do is step to the left. If God says, now step to the right, I just step to the right. If he says, move forward, I move forward. If he says, back up, I back up. It's really that simple, going. But how do I know where to go? How do I know when to go? Let's fill in some of the little drop-down menus, okay? First, my part, in, in order to go, my part is listening to God. Even when others are given opposing opinions. And you will have opposing opinions when you begin to obey God. When you begin to trust God's Word, trust Scripture, and you begin to do that, there is a lot of current thought that would say, why in the world would you do that? So we have to listen to God. My part also is believing God. Even when what he calls me to seems impossible. That was what I was facing earlier this year. That God was calling me to something I'll tell you more about in a moment. And it seemed, it didn't seem possible. But I knew it was what God was saying. My part is obeying God. Specifically. Explicitly. Sometimes immediately when he says it's time to do it now. But in my life, 
There have been many times where God has shared something with me. He's put a thought in my heart, but it was not for right now. And that's what happened in my life over the last year. Then, did you notice what Abram did? Each of those places he traveled through, he built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. He didn't know yet that God hadn't given him a son. God hadn't given him children. God hadn't for sure given him that land. He just said he would. He hadn't displaced the Canaanites and given it to Abraham yet. But at each place, out of faith, Abram worshiped God. My part also is confidently operating in his power and blessing. You see, when God says something clearly, I don't have to step out tentatively like, you know, checking the temperature of the water in the pool to see if it's hot or it's cold, just kind of stick my toe in and think if it's just right, then I might consider going in. When God says something clearly, we can be confident. We step out confidently, and when we step out confident in Him, then He can work. He can do the supernatural part that only He can do. Now, let me be clear. There is a definite difference in God speaking and me listening, believing, and obeying. There's a definite difference between that and me sitting somewhere thinking, well, Dwayne, what would you like to do? I would like to do this. I think that would be cool. God, you must have put that thought in my mind. I'm going to do it because I, that must be God. I don't go check the Bible. I don't check godly counsel of people who walk with God all the time and who know his word. I don't spend time in prayer about it for God to confirm it. I just think, well, that's a great thought. And so I take that step. And it turns out that that is off a thousand foot cliff. And when I splat on the bottom, I think, well, God, where were you? That is foolishness. That's not the same thing I'm talking about in being confident and following God. You get the picture, the difference? You should. Most of you have done the same things I have. You've done it. You've had those kind of experiences. And you've fallen off of that cliff. Some of you have realized that you weren't listening to God. Others of us have blamed God because he didn't show up. We need to be clear. When he speaks, we confidently can step out. Now, I know there's one more point in those subpoints, but I want to take a time out here and just kind of insert some pieces of our story over the last year before we finish up, okay? July 27th, 2017. I was sitting in a conference in Birmingham, Alabama at Church of the Highlands. Pastor Chris Hodges opened the conference, thousands of us there, opened the conference talking about how God had led them to start this conference a couple of years before in order for them to give away everything God was teaching them. Cost of the conference was minimal, and you signed up for their network. It cost you nothing to sign up, and every one of their resources, all of their teaching material, everything they did for organization, children's ministry, you name it, everything was absolutely free in documents online. And he was telling why that was the case, why they were not packaging them and selling them for $199, $299, and all of that kind of stuff like so many places are doing. Because he said, because God gave that to us, 
And God said to me, how dare you make money off of my work? Then he said something that may not mean much to you at all, but God absolutely wrecked me when he said this. He said, God told me our church was to help 1,000 other churches each reach 1,000 in attendance, help churches get healthy and grow. Now, to understand that, you need to understand that for 14 years before I came here, my ministry in Denver with a church there was to help church planters start churches and mentor and coach them as they started and grew churches. And in that environment is where I met uh, Dr. Dodd, who started this church, and Charlie Jones, who came with him to start this church. And in 1995, we became friends because my calling, my job in those years was to help church planters make healthy churches. So when Pastor Chris Hodges started talking about that, it was like igniting a fire inside me. So I immediately said, God, I can't do anything with a thousand churches. And the Holy Spirit immediately said, but you can do something with every church I bring in your path that I give you influence with if you'll just trust me and obey. I heard very little of the rest of that talk. I went back to the hotel that evening, picked Summer up. We went to dinner, and I started telling her about it. We began praying from that day through August, September to see what God would do. Here's what God did. He gave us a growing confidence that he was about to do something new in our lives. And he gave us a growing holy discontent with not being involved with multiple churches, not helping to mentor and coach some other churches. So by end of September, maybe early October, I don't remember the exact date, Summer and I came to the definite conclusion God was saying that to us, that he was going to launch us out into a different type of ministry, teaching more, working with multiple churches. So I said, I need to tell Pastor Charlie this. I don't, I don't want to be deceitful. I want to be above board, have integrity. Summer said to me, I don't think you should tell him yet. I said, why? She said, when are you going to launch Next Steps? We were in the middle of writing all the materials and the books and everything for Next Steps. I said, 1st of February. She said, I think you need to tell him after 1st of February when that project is done, when it's launched. Prayed about it a couple of days, came back and said, I believe you're right. The lesson from that for me, Summer tells me, is listen to your wife. Um, I did at that time. I haven't been as good at it at other times. But anyway, that's what we did. February 14, here's what I did. I gave Pastor Charlie a letter, and I basically said about five things in there, okay? I said, God's told me to plan to minister for another decade or more if I have the health and the ability. 63 years old. Second, I'm to help as many other churches as God will allow me to, not be focused on just one church. Three, I'm to teach more. I don't know if that means preaching on a weekend or teaching with other pastors or a combination of that. I just know that's what God is putting in my heart. Four, God has told me to develop a sustainable work pace, not the one I was, had been on for 25 or 30 years. That if I'm going to be effective into this next phase of life and ministry, and finish well and leave a legacy for the kingdom of God, not my legacy, but his legacy, then I'm to develop a sustainable workplace. And the fifth thing was 
I'm to spend more time with my grandchildren who are about 200 miles uh, away in northern Colorado in the normal course of life, not taking vacation for it, but in the normal course of life. And I said, those are the five things that I feel compelled to do. So he accepted that letter. A couple of weeks, prayed about it. First of March, he came to me, said, let's agree on the date that, that you end. So we agreed end of May, May 31st. 2018, I left Fellowship of the Rockies. That was a far harder, more difficult thing than I anticipated. Because so many of you have been a part of our lives. Our lives have been woven together. Your spiritual lives, I've, I've, God's given me the privilege of walking in and out of your spiritual life and walking alongside you. It was tough. It was gratifying, but it was still hard. So when I left here, I had this fear. I knew God had called me. I knew it. I knew he had something for me that I was supposed to step away from here. But here's the fear I had. The only time I had ever been unemployed in my life was for two to three weeks when I moved from North Missouri to New Orleans, Louisiana to go to seminary. And I had a period of a few weeks when I resigned one church before God put me in another church in New Orleans where I was in seminary. For over 40 years, I'd had only moments or days at most of not being employed. I'd always left this job in order to go to this job. So I called every friend I had. I emailed them. I called them, called them repeatedly. Guys in northern Colorado, in the Denver area, Colorado Springs, along in the mountains, all along the front range of Colorado. I called. I talked to those guys, told them what God had put in my heart. Until they were tired of hearing it, I know. They were, most of them were kind about it. But I, I just talked it up. No doors opened. And I was getting kind of concerned. Now, keep in mind, this is about six weeks, okay? Um, but late summer, later in the summer, Pastor Charlie and I, we'd been talking off and on different times about what was God was doing, and we stayed in touch. But again, Summer was the one who said to me, my wife, don't you think maybe God's telling us that we belong at Fellowship of the Rockies? Now, first reaction was, honey, we just left there. <laughs> you know, it just didn't make logical sense to me. We, we left, so we're going somewhere else. <coughs> Excuse me. So God began to work. Pastor Charlie and I began conversations that resulted in me saying, I know you're talking to me about this is God's call on my life, these things. Where am I supposed to do that? Pastor Charlie told you a couple weeks ago. I just asked Dwayne, well, where are you supposed to do that? Maybe it's here. Maybe it's through Fellowship of the Rockies. So he took that very seriously. He prayed about it for a period of weeks. He talked through with our elders, in fact, through all of those things in, in that letter I'd written. And their conclusion with much prayer was, God was calling me here, and God was calling this church to live out some of those things in ministering to other churches as well. That God would have Fellowship of the Rockies be a part of making a difference in many other churches through the next years. God opened a door that looked to me like a 180. I was headed this way to northern Colorado where my grandkids are. And it looked to me like God turned me back this way. 
But here's what God is showing me in this story of Abraham over and over. The path he set for me July 27th, 2017 to the day October 8th when I walked back in the door of the office here to begin work here again was as straight as an arrow in God's plan. It was not a crooked path. It was not a 180. It was God's plan all along. I never needed to worry. I did. But what I'm telling you is I didn't need to. Okay? Let's finish this up with another passage of Scripture quickly. (coughs) Luke chapter 14. Let's go to the New Testament where Jesus is speaking about following him. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let me be really clear here. He's not giving you permission to hate people in your family. He's saying if your love for me is not so powerful that the love for your family seems like hatred by comparison, then you need to let me do some more work in your life. Are you tracking? Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not, well, I'm, verse 27 is where I need to be. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you... Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The last piece of me going is counting the cost. Counting the cost. You see, Jesus doesn't promise us that obeying him and going will be easy peasy. Too often, we make it sound like if you give your life to Jesus, your life will be on easy street. It will be like a Corvette convertible ride on Sunday afternoon down Ocean Drive with the wind blowing through your hair, and it doesn't get any better than this. Let me tell you this. It doesn't get any better than walking with Jesus, but that does not mean it's easy street. Jesus himself was clear about that. Count the cost. The Bible doesn't paint that kind of picture. The picture it paints is one of obedience, and obedience is costly. Let me give you just a quick illustration. (coughs) Sorry. Quick illustration for us. There's an emotional cost sometimes, a relational cost. It costs you. It costs your family when you obey God. But I would rather be in the middle of God's will with some of that struggle, with some of that cost, than to be over here on what I would design as easy street and be out of God's will. So we've been telling our kids that we're planning that we're going to be somewhere in northern Colorado probably. We felt like that's where God had us headed. We missed that. But Isaiah, our seven-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and Liliana, a five-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, 
got it in their mind because Matthew and Bree were talking about us moving. So they started it as a joke. They would send us pictures, listings of houses in their neighborhood. Hey, here's another one. They would see it, the for sale sign go up. So they would pull that one up and they would send it to us, text it to us. So somehow Isaiah and Liliana thought we were going to move down the street from them. So in September, we knew God was bringing us back here. We were just waiting for Pastor Charlie to come back and make that announcement. Liliana was down and spent a weekend with us. So she goes to summer in the kitchen. She calls her Obachan. That's Japanese for grandma. She says, Obachan, are you going to move down the street from us? She says, no, honey, we're not going to do that. Why? So summer spent a bunch of time explaining why we were not going to do that without throwing God under the bus. But she had to include God in the conversation because he's leading our lives. So Liliana goes home to her mom and dad and says, Granddaddy and Obachan are not going to move down the street from us. They said, oh, really? Yeah, God changed his mind. (laughs) So, you know, whatever works for her. But let me tell you this. When Summer told me that, we both wept. Why? Because there was a pain in that. I understand. People all over the world are hundreds, thousands of miles from their grandchildren. But that doesn't change the fact that you love them and you want to be with them. Here's what God showed me in that. It wasn't that God was jerking me around and jerking us around. God doesn't operate that way. He was using this situation to make that love for them even stronger so that instead of walking down the street to see them, we'll drive 200 miles to spend a Friday night and see their soccer games on a Saturday morning before we drive back another 200 miles. Instead of just sitting at home in my big boy chair, taking it easy for that Friday night, that those kids are worth it more than my comfort any day of the week. That I will... Thank you. That I will FaceTime with them several times a week. Yesterday, Isaiah on the way to his yellow belt test for karate. You know, we're FaceTiming with them in the car, in their car. So, you know, we can wish him good luck and tell him we're praying for him and all those kinds of things. Or that I'll call him on his gizmo watch and say, hey, Isaiah, you know I'm a word nerd. The word for this week is, guess what those words are? They're words from Scripture. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those kinds of things. What am I doing with the word for the week for Isaiah? Asking him to live out godly character. And then at the end of the week, I'll call him and we talk about, here's how I lived that out with Obachan. How did you do with mom and dad and Liliana? Things like that, that I will desire it so strongly that I will do everything it takes. Is obedience costly? Guess what's more costly? Disobedience. Let's look at God's part. Here's what I'm learning. Here's God's part. Everything else, I'm going to give you the list quickly. He'll speak to you through the Bible, through prayer, through the church, by the Holy Spirit. He'll mold you. He will bless you. The list will stay on the screen. Don't get excited if you're a fill-in-the-blank freak, okay? He will bless you spiritually and emotionally. He'll protect you from the enemy. He'll use you to make a difference. 
And guess what? He'll bless other people through you. And you have never been blessed like you are when you realize God used you to touch another person's life for his kingdom. And he'll bring glory to his name because he deserves all glory. What does obedience look like for you? Maybe Abram's story is your story. Maybe Dwayne's story has some impact on what your story is, how God's asking you to step out. I just know this. With every fiber of my being, as Pastor Charlie and I talked about this sermon this day, this weekend, I'm confident there are hundreds of people in Fellowship of the Rockies who are just kind of hesitating to step out in obedience to God. And I pray, I pray that God will use Abram's story, my story, anybody's story, just to nudge you, it's time to obey because all you have to do is your part. The supernatural stuff is up to God. Let him do his part. So the canvas is blank. What kind of, what does obedience look like in your life? He's giving you the brushes, the paint. You start painting the crude, broad brush strokes that we're capable of and God will come along behind that with his colors and with his paint on that canvas and he'll paint a picture of obedience for your life that you never believed possible. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes.